Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of TPOTP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. We have an amazing program for you guys today. Captain of Team USA Lacrosse, USC head lacrosse coach Lindsey Monday joins me, as does marathoner and activist EJ Scott. Also, a guy from my apartment complex claims he's going to drop by. I'll believe it when I see it. Hopefully you guys will hear it. You're listening to the podcast with Tom Polos, a.k.a. TBTB. All right, welcome back to TV with TP. I am here with an all-American, all-world lacrosse player who's recently been named both captain to Team USA and head coach of USC lacrosse, Coach Lindsay Monday. Welcome on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, it seems like with all the success you've had and the way your resume looks to me, you could have had any job in the country. What made you come to USC to start a program from scratch? I think from the beginning when I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to be a head coach um, from, uh, you know, an early age, I guess. And I think the dream for a lot of people is to start a program from scratch and to be able to make your mark and, and do everything exactly how you want and not have to change old habits or make new, you know, philosophies or um, ideas for, for the girls. And so, you know, I always knew I wanted I wanted that. And I think, you know, for me it was – a place that that I could have the ability to win a national championship and and to be at a program where I think in lacrosse you know especially where it's a solid university and and the girls are going to get a great education because for lacrosse there is nothing afterwards other than the U.S. team but in terms of you know making money we need to set our players up um, for success after college and I, I think you know USC is a place where I mean it's proven that across the board in all sports people are successful and they're competing for national championships and I think there are a number of factors you know um, that, that play into that but that's for, for me you know in terms of looking at schools that I really wanted to, to be a part of um, I mean USC when I came out here I was just blown away it's it's pretty hard to beat. Outside of the weather and the academia that USC offers what have you found to be the most challenging part of recruiting starting from the bottom to coerce high school seniors don't worry it will be somewhere by the time you're a junior or senior yeah I mean I think again USC has done a lot of the work for us and I think people do believe in in what we're saying and and that success can happen and that it can happen quickly I think for us you know obviously from the east coast players we are a bit far away so just getting girls to um you know take a chance and to sort of mature a little bit maybe before they're ready to um you know I think for myself though and and both of my assistants we did take that chance you know I'm from New Jersey and I went to Chicago and I don't think I would get I would have gotten a lot of the opportunities that that I've gotten in my life if I didn't go far away I think I would still be in New Jersey which isn't you know a bad thing but I certainly wouldn't be here and I think you know just getting the girls to understand sort of taking a chance and to grow up a little bit and um you know once we get them out here to visit though it's um it's usually a good thing how was being the recruiting director at northwestern for lacrosse influenced you here how has that helped you um, pinpoint players you want to start this program yeah i mean kelly amonte hiller is obviously a huge mentor for me you know i had her as as a player and got to to work with her as a coach and i think you know, she obviously shaped how I look at things and how I look at players. And, you know, she took a chance on me. I I didn't, 
you know, wasn't a big lacrosse player when I was younger. I played soccer and she saw potential in me. And so, you know, that's really what I try to look for in, in players. And it's not necessarily the girl who's been playing lacrosse since she's, she was two years old. It, you know, are these kids that I just, you know, see that spark in. And I think a big part of it is attitude and, and work ethic and, and those types of qualities that really translate at the next level. Because there's so many people that are talented. And I think it's just a matter of how are we going to get that talent out of them. What's the benefit of having a really young team, a team made up of almost entirely freshmen and sophomores? It's it's fun. It's really fun. I, you know, they enjoy everything. And, you know, I think they have nothing to compare it to, um, which is a good thing. They are so excited about everything, you know, whether it's getting gear or training or practice. I think they just love it and I think you know being young you get to sort of bond a little bit more and you're going through everything together for the first time and you know you don't have a path and and you're sort of creating that for yourself and I think sometimes we've had to remind them of that I think they they sometimes are waiting for someone to you know tell them what to do and I think it's fun for them to make it however they want however they want this program to be you know the the values and and the attitude and the work ethic i mean it's theirs right now to to make up which is a really cool thing you start the season out with a bang against a perennial champion happens to be your alma mater northwestern at the historical coliseum how intentional was that scheduling (laughs) do you want your team to see um potentially the best team in the country this season do you want to see what do you want them to see what they're up against from the get-go yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in terms of our mentality, our philosophy, I mean, we want to be successful. And we're not, you know, we've we've said that to the girls. We Our goal is to win a national championship. And I think sometimes it's scary to say that out loud, but it is. It's That's the goal here and at USC across the board, all sports. I mean, that is the, the measure for success. And I think in our sport, Northwestern's it right now. And to show our girls you know, that level and and to see where we are, to have that comparison point right off the bat in terms of where we stack up, I think can only be a positive thing to prepare us for conference. You know, our conference play is obviously the most important because if you win, you know, you get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So I think for us, it's exciting. For me, it's really special, obviously, but I think for the girls, it's it's a really cool thing to be able to, to go up against the best right away. How will your emotions be that day, knowing that you used to don the purple, that you set Wildcat records, that you'll be staring across the field from past employers and mentors? What's that going to mean to you? It's it's really special. Like I said, I mean, Kelly Amontiller is, is, you know, the person I look up to. She's really helped me every single step of the way, maybe the player, you know, I am and, and the coach I am. So it's special to, to be able to go up against her and and I think for Hillary Bowen, my assistant as well, it's it's a cool thing to, to be able to go against your alma mater. But obviously it's a game and, and we gotta put our game face on and and do the, you know, sentimental stuff afterwards. But um, you know, I'm excited and, and again I'm really excited for our players as well. In other sports, there are occasionally regional differentiations that help brand a certain style of the game. Would you say there is a West Coast brand of lacrosse? You know, I think I think across the country, lacrosse is so incredible right now because it is, it's it's everywhere. You know, it, it really is the fastest growing sport, and I think across the country, teams are picking it up and girls are playing. You know, more and more, which is really exciting. I think, you know, what we're seeing is 
the West Coast is really athletic, you know, because they play so many sports. I mean, um, you know, they, they do have their hand in a lot of things, and I think that does give them an edge, you know, on the field. And, and I think that athleticism certainly translates. And I think, you know, for, for us, we, we definitely want to bring that style into our play and really um, have a fun style, you know, an exciting style, and, and hopefully, you know, something that's going to be, you know, exciting to watch. Lacrosse, as you mentioned, does continue to grow at a rapid pace. What great changes have you seen in the women's game in the past 10 years? I think it's just getting, you know, so much more talented. You know, across the board, I think you see it where, you know, teams can come up right away, you know, after a couple years and, and be competitive because there's so many girls that are talented. And I think that's a really exciting thing because as coaches, it makes <laughs> us continue to raise our game and, and continue to, to push our players to get better. And I think, you know, girls are getting faster, stronger, um, and, and it really is exciting for, for people to watch. I think, you know, the, the girls are really coming in and, and bringing their games to the next level and, and really battling. Is there anything in particular you like about the men's sport that you wish the women's sport would adopt or adapt, and vice versa? Do you think there's anything that the men's sport could learn or take away from the women's game? You know, I think I think there certainly have been comparisons recently, but I, I do think they're very two different games, um, two very different games. And you know, I do I love where our sport is and and where it's going. I think, you know, there's been discussions about you know certain rules um, that, that may come up, um, you know, to speed our game up and and those types of things. But I, I do think, you know, the the two sports are very different. So I, I don't think I see, you know, certain rules translating over. Um, but I think for our sport, there it's always evolving because the game is getting sort of better. And, you know, again, the kids are getting more talented. So I think we always have to look at rules and see what we can do to make our game more, more fan-friendly um, so that we can get more exposure. I think, you know, um, the biggest thing for us is getting exposure for, for women's lacrosse. And whatever we can do in terms of the rules to, to help that, I think across the board, you know, the, the people that are governing our sport, uh, we're ready to do that. Now on from USC to USA, what's that road ahead look like for you guys? What's going on with that? Yeah, it's really it's a really exciting time. Our World Cup is this coming summer in Canada, so uh, we just had a training weekend last weekend where um, the coaches paired our team down from 36 to to 24. So both myself and and Devin Wills, my assistant, uh, made the round of 24, which is really really exciting. Um, and our next event is the end of January where we go to Champions Challenge in, um, in Florida and we actually play Northwestern. Um, so we'll get a, a look at them but um, and Syracuse who was also in the national championship game and then after that we um, will know the 18 player um, players that will go to Canada. So it's a really exciting time and you know we're just, training and, and working hard so that hopefully we put ourselves in the best positions to, to be one of those 18 players. So you're mixing playing and coaching. Is it hard for you when you're coaching sometimes when your player doesn't make the perfect pass or when you see the play developing but they don't see it the same way? How can you coach with that um, sort of bird's eye view? Yeah, I think um, it, it's, it's nice because you can see two very different things when you're standing and watching and when you're playing. So I think you know, as a, as a coaching staff, we all are relatively young where we can jump in and, and scrimmage against them. I know um, my boss, Mark Jackson, came to a, a scrimmage and all three of us were playing and he was like, where are the, where are the coaches, you know, because <laughs> we look young enough, you know, and so it, it's fun that way. I think, you know, our girls 
get excited when we jump in and, and they're able to go against us and, and we can push them. And again, I think you see different things when you're, you're in there playing and when you're standing, you know, and watching. So I think for us, it's exciting because, you know, it gives us that almost credibility, not that, you know, you hope your players listen to you all the time, but I think when you can go in there and really show them, um, you know, what you're talking about, it, it holds a little more weight. Well, Coach Monday, February 9th, Coliseum, USC inaugural season opens against yeah. Northwestern, and uh, I'll be there. You'll awesome. be there, and uh, everyone out there wishing you the best of luck, and we look forward to seeing you out there from Katona, New York, from New Jersey, all the way to L.A. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right, welcome back to TP with TP. We're going to welcome back to the program Mr. EJ Scott. EJ, welcome back on the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Tom. And How so, you been? Oh, I've been well. I, I'm better now that you are here. Thank you. And now that we are uh, running along, EJ's been running for quite some time <laughs> in his um, Forrest Gump-esque attempt to raise money to cure CHM. He has done something quite incredible. He's raised, up until this point, over $90,000 to fight what, EJ? Give or take, give or take. Uh, but uh, to fight, or to, uh, it's for research, it's research money for an eye disease that runs in my family called choroideremia, and it uh, is causing us to go blind, me, my brother, my nephews. Uh, so we're just looking for awareness and money for a treatment. So before he started on this journey, he came on a show telling us that he was going to do this. He's going to try to run 12 marathons in 12 months to raise... 12 states. 12 states to raise buckets of money... <laughs> for awareness and uh, to contribute to the cure of yeah. this disease. And now I got number 12 coming up. Here we go, he's December, in the final stretch. Where is, where is the last race and tell us about the path that's gotten you here. Uh, the last race is in Las Vegas on December 2nd. And that's my 12th and final race of the year and possibly my life. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a really crazy, crazy year. Um, really fulfilling in a lot of ways and mentally taxing in many more ways it's it's been a bigger challenge than i thought it was going to be what's been most challenging about it what did you expect to happen that didn't happen or what did you not expect to happen that came down uh mentally i thought i i did my very first long marathon in um october 2010 in chicago and i got through it and i thought oh okay i was able to do that and Maybe I could do 12 of these and get awareness and all that stuff. Um, and uh, as far as like mentally, I've been traveling a lot. So I travel all these different states for it. Um, I train for it in between all the marathons. I'm, I'm pushing myself to raise a certain amount of money for the research so I'm doing fundraisers and planning fundraisers at most of the different cities I've gone to when going about each marathon what is the first thing you do in the morning besides just like getting there do you have to do anything particular to help you focus to help you gauge because I know a big thing about this is that you're running blindfolded yeah yeah so how to... is that um, taking a toll on you well I have to run blindfolded because the sunlight is very bad for my eyes and so in order to protect what I have while I have it, I do it blindfolded. So it's not only just a, 
metaphor or some sort of statement, but it's also necessary for me. Um, and this last one, the last one starts at 3 in the afternoon in Las Vegas, and as the sun goes down, I'll be able to take the blindfold off and finish my my first and only race where I, I'll finish without a blindfold and see what the finish is actually like. How has running with the blindfold changed you? Do you have to prepare any differently? Oh, how do I have to prepare? So, like, in the more, in if I'm lucky enough to get some sleep the night before a marathon, um, focus is a big, big issue with me, and I've learned throughout the year that if the, the more stimuli I have, the harder it is for me to relax and to get some sleep and um, concentrate. Um, so usually doing nothing the night or the whole day before, like 24 hours of nothing is really ideal for me. But um, usually I'll get up and do some, uh, or maybe I'll start eating. I'll, I'll have like a Cliff Bar, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a banana. Uh, I'll get dressed and uh, I'll put on my my uh, glide. I'll put glide all over my body so I don't get chafing too badly um, when I run. Check the weather reports. Uh, try to get some stretching in. Even if I'm in a hotel room, I'll try to stretch before I get to the get to the start line because I never know how much time I'll have. And you've been running these blindfolded, so you obviously have someone to guide you. Yeah. Tell us about your guides. Well, I have a lot of guides this year, a lot more than I thought I was going to have. Um, I have the guy that's running with me on on December 2nd in Las Vegas. His name is David, and he's a, he's a friend of mine out here that I met. Uh, his wife works with my girlfriend on True Blood. She's a writer and, um, and a producer, and... Um, her husband's a, a, a fitness trainer, and um, he's run a bunch of marathons in the past. And, and this will be, I think, his fourth or fifth race with me this year. Fourth, I think, his fourth full marathon. And I think, and he also helped me do the half marathon in April. But uh, so I've had him. I had my cousin Janelle, my cousin-in-law, and she helped me on a few races. My cousin Jennifer helped me on a few races. I did the New York Marathon last month, although it had to get, uh, there was some uh, uh, changes to it, obviously. Uh, it was canceled, um, but I still ran in Central Park, uh, ran around it about four, four and a third times, um, and I used the guides that were assigned to me by the original New York Marathon because they were still interested in helping helping me out, so it was a bunch of strangers I met that day, and then six hours later I was done with the marathon, and they went their way, and I went my way. So how was that experience for you after what had happened to the city of New York and the coastline of New Jersey and elsewhere? It was it was hard because I knew I had to run it anyway, and um, but people like me who were running for charities, we couldn't just let that go, and um, I had no choice but to figure out some way to run it and luckily I happened upon this group that were organizing in Central Park and uh, and kind of joined in with them sort of. Has your vision digressed since you started running these marathons in 2012? Probably but I, I couldn't tell you um, how much or how little um, nothing overly noticeable but it's a degenerative disease, so it's always getting worse, really. Do you know the timeline of your own vision yet? 
are they able to tell you that or is it something that's not able to be quantified right now it, it's different it seems to be different for everybody and i heard that if it, you can kind of tell from your own lineage so like if it runs in your family the, this sort of this type of way then you can probably expect it that type of way uh, my grandfather went blind in his 40s um so i'm expecting that i'm legally blind now i don't drive i walk with a cane um i'm down to 10 to 15 degrees centrally each eye and um so that's that's what i'm that's what i'm expecting i'm 37 now how have your siblings who I assume are dealing with this in their own way, taking on CHM. Mm, well, my brother's my brother's having. A, he's ten years younger than me. He's he's put together his first fundraiser uh, on Long Island. All my family's on Long Island. Um, so on December second, he's he's doing the fundraiser there uh, as a celebrate. They're celebrating on Long Island while I'm finishing up in Las Vegas, which is kind of cool and. Uh, so they're having, if you're on Long Island or know somebody there, you can go to a bar and grill called Whoville. I think it's in Beth Page. And um, there'll be auctions there. And Deborah, my girlfriend from True Blood, is, has signed some things that will be there. And, and uh, it'll be a good time. And all the proceeds go to the, the foundation and go towards my goal for the year. Um, so he's he's... It took my brother a while to, um, I don't know, come to grips with it. He had a real hard time because when he found out, he was 16. And um, I know his current fiance, he didn't tell for like the first year or two they were dating. And, and then my sister, she has two boys, little guys. And uh, I'm not, I don't even know really what she's going through because I'm sure there's tons of guilt there. I know she doesn't, she's not talking to the boys about it, and she doesn't want other people to talk to the boys about it, and so uh, I, I know she's, she's, she's scared, she told me she's scared of, like, ruining their childhoods and stuff like that, and, um, I think, uh, I think, uh, I don't think that would necessarily ruin a child, I think I had, I had my childhood ruined for all sorts of other reasons, but, um, but I think uh, I, I do. I do want to encourage people to talk to their kids if if their kids have something to, to talk to them about it, because you know nobody ever talked to me about it till I was twenty seven. That's one thing I really <clears throat> respect about you and how you're going about this. You have a very honest approach to this. And one of my questions to you is: Are you scared? Mm -hmm. Are you uh, scared for the moment or the day you wake up and you can't see? Yeah, definitely. I'm. I'm I think about it all the time and. You know, me and my girlfriend, we talk about having kids a lot, and I'd like to have kids of my own and, and, and interact with them visually. I know I can still be a good father as a blind person, but I'd like, to, you know, that's, that's an extra perk of seeing them smile or seeing them grow up or seeing a picture they drew or something like that. Um, that's, that's what I'd like. Have you been able to talk to people who have gone through CHM already, who have now gone to the other side of not being able to see? I've I know, yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of people like that, yeah, mostly, yeah. Do they have any advice or words for you? Um, no, I don't, not really. I mean, I haven't really asked her much advice about it. 
Um, no, a lot of people, criteremia-wise, a lot of people are very quiet about it. There's a lot of, just not too much talking about it. Most recently, you appeared on the Jeff Probst show, which gained lots of exposure to CHM and all of your efforts. What was that interview like, and what other things have you been doing outside of the marathon to raise money and awareness for um, the disease? Uh, well, I'll start backwards. I, I, at the different cities I go to, uh, before I go, get there, I usually spend several hours on the computer looking up emails and contact information for local papers, news, radio, whatever. And I'll make it out, I'll, I'll put the word out publicly on social networks that I'm going to this city, I'm looking for publicity. So, um, and Deborah's publicists uh, and, and agents have been really nice to help me out just as part of their deal with her or just pro bono or whatever. I don't, I, they've been really fantastic and um, they helped me get this Jeff Probst thing. Originally we were supposed to do Anderson Cooper, but because the they canceled the uh, marathon, I, we got canceled. But Jeff Probst came, came and, and snatched us right up, which was pretty cool. Where can our people find you online on the World Wide Web? Well, the, be the best and easiest place is ejscott.com. Um, on there, you'll see Twitter links, Facebook links. I have an eBay auction that goes to the foundation. I have a YouTube channel that shows footage of m me running all year round. Um, I have blogs. I write about all my all my runs on my blog. Uh, yeah, so ejscott.com. And there's PayPal buttons on there, too, And if you wanted to donate. It's really easy. Excellent. So go to ejscott.com for more. EJ, a couple more questions. One, what was your favorite marathon moment of this stretch? Uh, thus far, my, my favorite marathon moment. My favorite marathon is still the first one, which was back in Arizona, because it just, all the conditions were right. It was, <laughs> it was flat. It was long stretches of straight road. Uh, Weather-wise, it was perfect. There weren't that many people. It just, and I had a pretty decent uh, run time and uh, no real injuries or physical problems. Um, that one, I still kind of look back on that one and go, oh man, that was great. Why can't uh, they all be so flat? Why can't they all be so lucky? Because <laughs> the one in New York I ended up running, somebody told me that it was harder than the actual course itself that I was supposed to run. I'm sure. Uh, because Central Park is surprisingly hilly and I had to run around it four and a third times. Um, but there's been lots of great, great moments um, running-wise. And, and, you know, there's a lot of great support. Sometimes people run up to me and, and say really nice things. And um, I've, had, I've had some really good moments this year. Oh, I guess one of my favorite was right before uh, the Los Angeles Marathon. I got to meet Chef Gordon Ramsay. He also, <laughs> he also ran the marathon. He said on camera that he would run... London with me next year and I'm going to hold them to it. That's awesome. I hope. I hope I could do it. So hope. you answered my next question. So after these marathons, I guess you're not done. Well, mm, I mean, if I can run Austin, I mean, uh, London with uh, with Chef Gordon Ramsay, I would absolutely 100% do it. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to take it one, 
one day at a time as far as marathoning goes. I was thinking, you know, uh, if, if besides the London Marathon, maybe I'd just cut it down to like a half marathon. Like half marathon seems so easy now. <laughs> uh, you know, like a couple hours of running. You could do it in your sleep, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I've got my eyes closed anyway, so why not? But, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what, I mean, I'll always be raising money for Croideremia research until it's until it's done. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, you never know. Well, we know that we're going to be supporting you along the way. Wish you the best of luck in Vegas on your last one, in London, whatever comes up. Yeah. So everyone go to ejscott.com and or curechm.org and continue to support EJ in the fight against choroideremia. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. All right, that's our program. We want to thank you so much for checking us out. We hope you enjoyed it as much as... Hello? Hey, guy from the apartment complex. What's going on? No, nothing. You know, I was just I'm sort of stressed out thinking about the Iraq war, you know? Yeah? I mean, I, you really are, are sticking with it. Yeah, I don't think anybody else remembers. I, I guess. But someone's got to keep everything alive, and we're happy to have you alive in the apartment. So what's going on in your world? Uh, do you have any bold predictions for us? Well, yeah. I figured since I'm the only person, apparently, who knew that the Iraq war was going to be a complete debacle okay. a decade ago. Yeah. That I should make some bold predictions, but I don't. I don't have the patience to wait like ten years. So I was thinking more like three months. Okay, what's happening in three months? Well, I I can. I'm gonna say three big things. They're gonna happen before February seventeenth, twenty thirteen. All right, a very specific date. Let's go for it. That that's my birthday. Oh, happy um, birthday! Thank you. Please. Prediction number one: the world will not end. I'm behind that one. Yeah. And the Mayans are wrong. You know, Mayan backwards is nay am. Well, now we know. Yeah. <laughs> Prediction number two. Pau Gasol will break his hand. Okay. Laker forward slash center. Pau Gasol will break his hand. Pau Gasol will break his hand. And now on February 16th, if it's not looking bright, are you going to have to break his hand? I, I'll do what I have to do. Okay. Yeah, I understand. This is why these predictions are bold. Yes. Yes. And now this, this goes a little bit beyond and is also a movie I haven't seen yet, but that makes it more bold. Bill Murray will win Best Actor. For his portrayal as FDR. Yes. All right. I like these predictions. Yeah. I can get February 17th. And, and, and a little bit longer for the Bill Murray one. Okay. We're, we're good with that. I mean, yeah, that's something I can, I can get behind. I can get comfortable in. Some things I know you like getting comfortable in are socks. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us about any new socks in your life, or have you stuck with some oldies but goodies? Well, tis the season um, of giving. Yes, yes it's a socking stuffer time of year. Yeah. Oh, I have a great Christmas pun. Give it to us, please. Oh, this one's really good. Okay. All right, so it's not as good because you can't see the words, but it, it's good. Uh, as I sit in my car, gazing through your window on December 25th, watching your family's happy holiday festivities... I'm only playing my favorite jazz CD to put a little Nat King Cole in your Christmas stocking. Stocking spelled S-T-A-L-K-I-N-G. We're good. We're good. 
Let's go from stalking with an A to stalking with an O. Uh, stuff us with your reviews of socks. Do you have any any socks? I know how much you like socks. You know, we're in the market for some socks. The this is the socks, sock market. The best socks find you. If I have any sock tips, it's that the best sock will find you. How how do we put ourselves in the position to be found by these comfy socks? You can't. You have to open up to the universe. I, I need good some good socks. Is there a length of sock you like, or is it all about texture for you? It, it depends on the need. Um, at, at the moment, this time of year, I, I've gotten carpet in where I live now, right downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not hardwood anymore, so I don't need booty socks. <laughs> Could you is, say that again? Is something funny? You don't need what? Booty socks. <laughs> what do you need? Well... I want a higher cut so I can still wear my athletic shorts, which I so yearn to wear, but have my my legs be somewhat helped. Warmth. 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 That's the word I'm looking for. Warmth is key. I don't like those circulation socks. Not crazy about those. Like dry fit ones? Yeah. They like have like aerated Mm -hmm. pockets almost. Yeah, I don't I don't need that. But in the past year, the best socks I've found were being discarded by someone else. I found some, which may have not been intentionally discarded, I described on the program outside of our apartment complex. Some other ones my grandparents were trying to throw away. Grandma and grandpa socks. Grandma and grandpa socks. They For a while I was Were not... they really old socks, or were they just belonging to your grandparents so they seemed older? Were they new old socks? They Yes, new old socks. Okay. Yes, these are socks. I don't even know where to get them, and it, I don't like the idea of spending money on socks. Can you teach a sock new tricks? No. Is it the type of thing where one person should have to stick with a style of sock? Or when, when is it right to try something new with socks? Well, if, if you happen upon socks or socks happen upon your life, it is probably a sign of something greater than yourself reaching out to you. Many people ignore this sign. Guy from the apartment complex, could you give us another pun? Oh, yeah. Please. Yeah. Um, well, at the moment, there's the big scandal going on with uh, um, Chief Justice Roberts. His chief legal aide was embroiled in scandal for receiving a vehicle from an 80s pop icon. And the papers are dubbing it the Lewis and Clark Expedition. I don't know what to say. Now, a guy from the apartment complex, also in the news, hitting our capital, is something of general interest to all of us. What do you make of what's happening in the Tampa socialite scene between uh, General Petraeus and uh, Paula Broadwell and Jill Kelly? What's going on there? What, I, what's happening in America's next greatest city? I Actually, I, I have a lot of feelings about this, this news cycle, because I think that is a very juicy story. Okay. It's a great story. There are new things going on. You discover new things every day you follow that story. And that story sort of is being buried. Yeah. There's there's we're identical walking, We're walking off the cliff here, yeah. There's love triangles. There's actually new things to talk about and engage you. Whereas, like, the fiscal cliff negotiations, they're either solved or they won't. Same with the NHL lockout. Solve yeah. it or you won't. Do you think Gary Bettman could solve the fiscal cliff issue? And do you think Boehner and Obama could solve the lockout issue? Why don't we just flip-flop them? I don't think Gary Bettman is capable of the type of thought to comprehend in order to get onto a plane to get to Washington, D.C. 
if he's demonstrated anything over the past 24 years. So you'd take him fighting the Capitals over the Capitol? Yeah. Yeah. I would make that bet, man. So how's work, guy from the apartment complex? Well, you know... You're a working girl. I... I am. What? (laughs) Uh... I, I'm new to, to the world of business, um, but I, I have these, these wonderful bosses, wonderful job, uh, and generally we, we are on the right side of the law as well, which is a, a huge perk. Um, my boss thinks that I'm not good at negotiating, even though recently, instead of having to pay $200 every week to this company for the rest of time, we only have to pay them $100 a week one time, uh, my boss feels I did not negotiate this deal enough. Anyway, he told me, negotiate anything I can in my life. So, recently, I've been trying to see how much more I can get out of things. Uh, For instance, at Starbucks, I've been able to get a grande drink uh, instead of a tall because I said that I was trying it out with my friend and we might buy more. There's that. Recently, I had rented a bike and it was perfectly fine all day. The whole day I had rented it. As I brought it back, I steered it over some glass. It got a flat tire. Surprise, surprise. And I brought it into the shop and said, hey, I paid for this bike. It has a flat tire. I need my money back. And I got it. And it's wonderful. I highly support everyone listening to this program that there is so much more room to haggle in your life than you could possibly anticipate. Now, we get haggling. We get negotiation. But do you ever feel like... It's sometimes at the expense of another little guy trying to get by. I understand, like, Starbucks, big company, but what about Bike Man? Bike Man? Yes. Bike Man, unfortunately, is in this world in which I live. And if people are going to be hardline negotiators with me, then business has taught me that my only recourse is to be a shark all the time. I I was down at the beach recently. Um, and this dead dolphin. Were you being a shark at the beach? Um, you have to turn off being a shark when you go in the water. You right. can't pretend you're a shark. When you're a shark, though, you're a... You're a shark for life. Okay. Um, I was at the beach. There was this dead dolphin on it's the beach. Very sad. Uh, okay, so everybody's like, oh, God, this is so sad. There's a dead dolphin. And really, it's just because dolphins don't have, like, a burial ritual because they're not as smart as everybody thinks. Uh that they wash up on shore and everybody's like, dead dolphin. Dolphins die every day. You just don't see them. There's nothing to be sad about. I've bought a kayak recently and I go out into the ocean to relax, to relieve myself from all my business stress. From all your haggling, all your negotiations. All my haggling. You don't have to haggle haggle with dolphins because what a dolphin will do is a dolphin will just jump right into your face and kill you. This almost happened? Yeah, I was on my kayak. I'm riding in the waves, and it's really awesome. I'm like, oh, man, I'm having such a good time. And I see these dolphins playing. And, of course, because I've been trained by Disney to think that these are, like, cute, smart, intelligent creatures, I start going closer towards this pod of dolphins. And then, as I'm going towards these, I'm, I'm, I'm facing the beach, coming in from the ocean. Uh, this dolphin just jumps through this wave, five feet from me right at head level onto my kayak and I I pictured what would have happened if I was five feet away I would have been knocked unconscious knocked out of my kayak and died 
And you would have washed ashore with that dolphin. Yes, I would have washed up on shore, and people would have just screamed if a dead <laughs> human washed up on the beach. A dolphin, everybody's like, oh, so sad. With humans, it's like a biohazard. Well, it's never a biohazard when Guy from the Apartment Complex drops by. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, that's our program. We want to thank you so much for checking us out. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We want to take this moment to thank our guests. Thanks to Lindsay Monday, EJ Scott, Guy from the Apartment Complex. Special thanks to Sammy J for the rhythms. Thanks to Bop, as always. Thank you, Trent. You'll see us next time, or you'll hear us next time, on TP with TP. That's the podcast with Tom Polos. There's always more at thepolosgrounds.com. Happy New Year's. <laughs>